Can everybody hear me all right? Too loud? A little down a little bit? I might start yelling, so you might want to start low. I don't know. We'll see. All right, great. Um, just again, thanks to Dr. Boyd. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, Hutch Crawford, my wife Reagan, is over here. Um, we've got two boys, Sam and Ezra. We've been in the church for about a year. We moved from Germany last uh, December, January, um, here with the military, and um, just have been so blessed by the Sunday school and this church, um, just the ministry of the word here, um, growing and encouraged in that. Um, and so just, um, I say all that to say that I'm very thankful for this opportunity and uh, pray that everyone here is, is blessed by, um, by the work I've done this week and that we can all come together to learn. Um, first thing I want to do is just pray uh, and then talk a little bit about where we're going to go and then, uh, and then we'll get started. So, Holy, holy, holy God. You are good and right and true. And you have revealed yourself in your word to us and through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we have experienced your spirit at work in our hearts to make us alive again. And God, for those of us who have who've tasted of and seen that your word is good, that you are good, I just pray that you would um, bless our hearts through this message this morning, through what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus so many years ago, uh, that we would apply it to our own hearts and be strengthened in our faith and our trust in you, and uh, that we would be more and more about walking according to the calling to which we've been called. For those in this room that are um, unfamiliar with what I'm talking about and who um, have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I just pray that you would use this message to quicken them, uh, to challenge them, uh, to cause them to self-reflect and to consider what the good news of Jesus Christ means for their lives. Bless our time, Lord. Help us to be diligent and joyful uh, and to just um, dig deeply into your word and to have it transform our lives. We love you and pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, so this is, uh, this is the word of God, right? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be reading out of the NASB. The NASB is not the Word of God itself, but it's a good, it's a good uh, translation that we teach from a lot here because it talks a lot about uh, the grammar, right? It helps us see the logic of the text, right? And so that's, that's why we teach out of it a lot, but whatever, whatever one you have, uh, I'm going to try to ask some questions, discuss as we go through the passage and see some of the words and what they mean. So if you have a different word uh, in your passage and you want to bring that up, we can, we can talk about that as well and talk about... Um, what it is. I tried to um, look at the Greek and bring some of that uh, to our study so we can get like a, we can kind of wrestle with what is, what's the intention of a lot of the words here. Um, but I just want to remember, want everyone to remember that you know, the word of God is, is living and active, right? Um, it's profitable for teaching, correction, proof, and training in righteousness. This is the word of God, theotokos, God-breathed word, right? And so, uh, anything that I'm going to teach you today is a result of a lot of men like Dr. Boyd and many others who have spoken to me, uh, encouraged me, and uh, encouraged me to root my life in the Word. And uh, so it is, not, it is not my opinion, that is my goal, that it won't be my opinion, but it's what I've heard from others and what I'm trying to faithfully pass on to you. So, um, yeah, so I just pray that, that that would be a blessing to you guys this morning. Um, so uh, just for an outline of what we're doing, right, we're going to just talk briefly about how this section of Ephesians, uh, our text being uh, uh, Ephesians 4, 17 to 21, how it fits in Ephesians as a whole, right, that Dr. Boyd's been talking to us about. Uh, then we're going to just read the text, 
and then we're going to talk through our text. So verse by verse, talk about what it's saying, what do the words mean, what's Paul's point, and then we're going to apply the text. All right? that's, that's our goal for today, so um, please come with me. Uh, my goal this morning and my, my mission, my job is to teach you, um, but I can't teach you if you're not here to learn. And so just ask that you guys would try to stay engaged with me, uh, even in my weakness and my lack of experience as a teacher, and that we would um, grow together in the ministry of the word. With that in mind, uh, we've been talking about Ephesians 4, right? Um, we talked about really the last section, right? Rolling right into where we're talking about. We talked about how God has given us pastors, teachers, prophets, and evangelists for the building up of the body, right? Ministry of teaching, right? Um, and uh, so it's, that's probably one of the greatest texts in the New Testament uh, on, on the importance of this, on studying God's word, on having people teach. And so since it's so fresh in our mind... Um, I thought it'd be very important that we talk about that, right? We talked about at the end of our lesson, like last week, we talked about everyone using their giftedness for the body, right? Not just teaching, but whatever your gift is and how that builds up the body. But um, we learn our giftedness through teaching, through coming to the word, humbling ourselves to what the Bible says and walking in it. And so I just pray that uh, we would all have that attitude as we flow into this next part of Ephesians 4. Um, so if... Uh, I don't know who would like to read. Somebody got the Nasby. Matt, you want to read for us? Sure. Okay, so Matt, you're going to read verses 17 to 21. Um, like I said, we've been talking in Ephesians 4, right? We talked about uh, the walking in unity, okay? So that was our section. Now we're about to move into walking in truth, okay? So this is just the first part of this section. We're going to kind of end abruptly in it, uh, but we're going to focus on uh, a very important and um, a little bit difficult passage. We're going we're gonna to learn about what's the Gentile mind. What is at the heart of how we think uh, and how is God calling us to think and to use our minds as Christians? So Matt, if you go ahead and read 17 to 21. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard, for, heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right. Uh, so that's our, that's our passage, right? We're reading it. Now we're going to start talking through it. Okay. So uh, verse 17, you got so, or I think the ESV has a therefore, right? A lot of times that's, uh, especially in Paul's letters, that's a really good way for us to identify another pericope, right? Another thought. So, uh, and every time we see that, we need to look around at the context, right? What just came before? What's after, right? If he's saying so, Right? That's a conjunction, right? We've all, we've all had an English class, right? So he's saying, like, because of this, now I'm going to give you more information, right? Um, so, again, that's why I want you to have in mind, right? We talked about the importance of teaching, right? If we go back to 14, the result of the teaching. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, Right? And talk about the whole body being fitted together, right? So that's, that's where he's going, and now he's saying, so, all right? So because of that, right, therefore, this I say and affirm together with the Lord. 
this is Paul's authority to command, right? He's, he's, every word that he writes, right, we, we, we recognize as scripture, right? We recognize as that. But Paul's making extra emphasis right now. He's saying, not only am I saying this, but this is how, this is Christ. Christ himself is saying this, right? Um, obviously, we believe the whole, whole scripture is, is God's word, but he's, he's decided, he's chosen, the author has chosen to make extra emphasis in this section to say, this I say and affirm together with the Lord, right? That you walk, right? Uh, and where have we been hearing walk before? Does anybody remember where we heard walk before? Yeah, first verse of chapter 4, right? Uh, and uh, as we've been talking about the greater, right, we, we simplified the entire book of Ephesians into three sections, right? Sit, walk, stand, right? Okay, so sit was chapters 1 to 3. We learned about who we are in Christ, right? What, what, it, is, what it means to be indwelled by the Spirit, right? And now as we moved into chapter 4 through half of 5, we're going to learn about walking. What does it mean to live out? Um, this calling that we have, right? Yeah, so back in verse 4, he said, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And he went on to address it. Right? So that's a positive command. Walk in this way, in a way worthy of the calling, right? Which we talked about back in chapter 2. But now we're going to look at a negative aspect of the walk, right? It's a negative command. Now he's going to tell us, walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. So in the beginning of chapter 4, we had a command to walk according to our calling, and now to walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Um, so, yeah, so a negative command, right? So then as we go down, it says, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Does anybody know, want to give me a definition of futility, or tell me about a story maybe that you had that, that demonstrates something that was futile? Like destructive. Destructive? Okay. Anybody else? Useless. Useless, yeah. Um, something helpful to me to understand this, I really loved Ecclesiastes growing up. And in the Septuagint, right, everybody's heard the word vanity, vanity, or meaningless, meaningless. In the Septuagint, this is the same, same Greek word, okay? So, so you can keep in your mind, if you've, if you've read Ecclesiastes, the idea of, of vanity, right? Or, or I, think the K, I think the KJV is vanity, but meaningless, meaningless, right? So um, these Gentiles, right, unbelievers, right, so Gentiles is the word ethnos, it's just nations, the people, right, the not Jews, right, they walk, the way that they walk, the way that they live, right, we talked about walking is now how we're going to live, how we're going to walk on our faith, is in the futility of their mind, the meaninglessness of their mind. Um, Honer, who was a, a guy that Dr. Boyd gave me to read through, he has a really great commentary on Ephesians, he he translates this word mind into their reasoning process. So basically the way that they're thinking, the way that they rationalize what they're doing, the way that they think through problems is faulty. It's leading to a place that is meaningless, right? It has no eternal purpose. It has no, no root, right? So, so that's the first thing to remember, right? We're not to walk in the futility of our mind. Our, our reasoning process is not to be the same way as the Gentiles, right? They're going off. They're, the way that they're stepping and walking is just leading to nothingness, to destruction, to death. But we are to walk in a different way. And then he goes on in verse 18 to start to clarify that, right? What is this futility in their mind? They're darkened in their understanding. And uh, we're going to jump to Romans 1 a lot uh, through our talk this morning because it's a pretty par a similar passage. Um, but for the first glimpse at that, we're going to look at verse 21 of Romans 1. You can go ahead and leave your finger in here because, like I said, we'll be jumping around uh, back and forth to here. But um, in Romans 1, verse 21, he says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, 
but they became futile in their speculations and their, fu- their foolish heart was darkened. All right, so we got the same idea here when we look at Romans 1 and we look back at Ephesians 4. We see a people whose um, their minds have become futile, meaningless, because their hearts are darkened. Right? So we, we actually get some of the same words here. This futility, this darkness. Um, it's an idea of that their minds are set on themselves. They're in this place where they don't have light. They can't see. They don't know what's going on. And so the way that they're walking is in accordance with this mindset that is not enlightened, that's not been made to understand truth, right? All right, so um, then this next verse, all right, we go from 18 back to, sorry, back to uh, Philippians 4. Um, we go down to uh, verse 18. It says, being dark in their understanding, and it continues to describe them, right? So we had, they're walking the fertility of their mind. You've got being dark in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. And then these two, there's two, two phrases that start with because. And it's talking about why are they excluded from the life of God, right? Every time we hear a because, it's telling us a purpose. All right, so as we talk about excluded from the life of God, we're going to go into the two reasons why. There's the ignorance that's in them, and there's the hardness of their heart. What is the life of God? It's a hard, that's a hard, that seems like a complicated, loaded phrase, right? But what is that? To love him and love your neighbor. Yeah, okay. What's the life of God? The Holy Spirit? Yeah? Yeah, right? So if we look back at Romans, uh, Romans 1, right? Uh, well, I'll, I'll just quote a verse. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the prince of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's Ephesians 2, right? All right? Let's go back and read Ephesians 2, because I want to remind us of it, because right, this is the same letter we're reading right now. And uh, this is kind of the background that Paul, this is the background that Paul's bringing to them. All right, so again, right, we talked about sit, walk, stand. Everything he is, he is telling us about walking is rooted in what he told us about sitting, about who we are in Christ, okay? So when we read this, keep that in mind. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, tra- in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That, that is life. That is the life of God, right? Those of us who believe that to be true of us, we have life in Christ. That's amazing, right? But these Gentiles that he's talking about, these people that don't walk, that don't sit, that don't walk in this way, right? these Gentiles, they're excluded from this life of God. right? So they're, they're not in this life. They're outside of it. And that's, that's sad, right? That's terrifying. right? We all have family members. We all have people we love. that are They are currently excluded from the life of God. They're living in a way that is outside of that blessing of Christ uh, and, and the forgiveness of sins, right? And that's, that's hard for us, right? But why, 
right? Why are they, why are they like that, right? And we're going we're gonna to dig into this because uh, Romans 1 gives us a lot of clarification on this. Uh, so we're going to go back there and look at Romans 1, 18 to 23. But you'll see, uh, once we talk through it, it's actually the same logic in both, both, both letters. Ephesians 4 and Romans 1, he's, he's talking about the same thing. All right, so uh, we're going to go to Romans 1, verse 18, and then we'll go back to Ephesians 4. So we're going to read through this real quick. All right, so uh, Romans 1, verse 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Again, here's the verse we read earlier, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Um, I talk about this a lot with my son. I'm trying to, uh, he's two and a half, and I'm trying to figure out how do I start to talk to him about the Bible. And um, I read a really good book on the Proverbs by a guy named Bruce Waltke, who uh, Dr. Boyd does well, and uh, it's a good one. Um, And so I'm starting to try to think about talking about this idea of the fool and, and the wise, the person, the, the wise man, the person who chooses to walk in righteousness, right? Um, obviously, we have a New Testament perspective on that, right? We see that, like, we see we can't choose wisdom. We can't choose wisdom unless Christ has made us alive through his spirit, right? But, um, but uh, a, a psalm that is, that is very crucial idea is Psalm 1, right? And uh, in Psalm 1, which I definitely could quote, but I'm struggling to think of it right now, but... Um, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. For he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, for they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Right? We're getting the same idea here, okay? Even in Romans 1 and back to Ephesians 4, and I know... um, that's probably a lot of scripture to, to take it at once, but it's the same kind of idea here, right? We've, people have been given the truth. They, they should see it. Everyone should see it. Um, it's obvious. It's clear that God created the world. It's clear that God is at work. And for us who have experienced the Spirit and seen His power to give salvation and, and sanctification in our lives, like we, we obviously know it tangibly and personally, but, um, but even so, in the Gentile mind, in the unbeliever's mind, they have become darkened in their understanding and therefore excluded from the life of God. So why, right? We'll go back to Ephesians 4. He talks about because of the ignorance that is in them and because of their hardness of heart. All right, that ignorance really is is back in in Romans 1, uh, but here as well. You might know somebody who's just ignorant. Yeah, me. Yeah, us, right? Right? Yeah, maybe how you feel, right? Yeah, um... Right, so, but what, where, where is ignorance happening? What does it mean to be ignorant? Without, without clue, without, or without uh, knowledge. Yeah, without knowledge, understanding, right. Where, where, do, where does that happen? Where do we know things? Where do we brain. think about stuff? Your brain, your mind, right? Your brain, right? We're going to get a little philosophical, right? But, um, 
But yeah, when when you go to school, right, you're you get given books and they say like, all right, you know, one plus one is two. And you're like, okay, got that. Like one apple, another one, and I count them, one, two. Okay, good, right? Now you know one plus one is two, right? That's your mind. You're working your mind. Your kids are are growing in their understanding in their mind, right? But these Gentiles, these unbelievers, the reason why they're excluded from the life of God is first because their mind. They're ignorant in their mind. They don't understand the gospel. They don't understand the truth that is in Christ, right? But why? Why don't they understand? Why don't they understand the truth that is in Christ? That's our second because. Because of their hardness of their heart. Uh, has anybody ever broken a bone in here before? Funny, right? All right, so when you, when you break a bone, uh, your bones are awesome. They're really cool. Uh, when you break a bone, there is this liquid from the marrow of your bone that pours out around your bone. Hopefully the doctor sets it before it happens. Anybody here have a bone that didn't get set and it's like sideways? Reagan has her finger that's like that, I know. Chris, you got one, yeah. So if you don't, if you don't set it, uh, your bone will start to heal itself, right? And it will, it will start to push out this liquid that forms around it and starts to create new bone, right? Um, so that's, that's the Greek word here, it's porosis, but um, you can also think of it as petrified, right? Uh, which is why we say hardness of heart. And the, I think the translators kept this because hard hearts, hard hearts. We see it, especially if you read the Old Testament, over and over again. Jesus, God talks about how Israel hardened their heart against him. Um, and so they want to make that connection of this is the same idea of a hardened heart. All right? But, um, but the reason why they don't understand is because their hearts are hard. This is super important for us to understand because we can never... Uh, we can never we can never teach anyone the gospel. We can never bring anyone to a realization of the truth of the gospel to, an inc- to inclusion in the life of God until their hearts are softened and they have an understanding of who God is, and then they will come into, they will be a part of the life of God. I want to look back at Romans 1 because I think it explains the logic a little better. Um, the way Paul writes it in Ephesians 4, it's almost backwards. You get they're excluded because they don't think, because they have hard hearts. But in Romans 1, we see it the other way which is kind of the way the grammar is in for. They have a hard heart. Um, uh, they've, give, they've been given over to a hard heart, as we'll see later. And then they, ha- then they ha- are ignorant, and then they don't have life with God. I'm just going to read it one more time. We don't have time to like, dig into it, but please try to listen. Try to understand what Paul's writing in, in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his individual attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So these people, their hearts are hardened. Uh, and they, they don't understand because they have a worship problem. Yeah, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll give a personal example that's uh, really serious, right? When, I'm, when I was coming to faith, um, 
I was addicted to pornography. And my life was torn apart by it. And even in spite of that, when I, I'm, I'm starting to read the Word and to know it, I still want to indulge my flesh in those things. I want to let myself walk in those things. How ignorant is that, right? I, and, and, and at the time, Reagan and I were beginning to date and talk and thinking about marriage. Um, but you'll see that that was, my, that was my actions. That's how I was walking. But the root of the sin is not in my actions, right? The root of the sin is in my heart, and it's in my mind, okay? And um, that's why this is important, and we're going to get there more in application, but this text is not just talking about the Gentiles, right? It's not just talking about people outside the church. We need to wrestle with what are we thinking about? What is our heart focused on? And do we have a heart that is no longer stone? I'm going to read real quick from Hebrews 8.10. But in Hebrews 8.10, he talks about this hard heart, right? Um, he's quoting back from Jeremiah 31, right? That's a verse that Pastor Sean's going to read from this morning. But in 8.10, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And that's uh, where we see the fulfillment of Psalms 1, right? I talked about Proverbs and the Psalms and how my hope is that my kids would learn to be wise men, but they can never know that until the God of heaven and earth writes his laws in their hearts and gives them a new heart. And so just want to encourage us and remind us of that. The reason why these Gentiles are here is because they have a heart of stone and they're filled with ignorance. All right, going on to uh, verse 19 of Ephesians 4. And this is where we start to see the descent into evil. All right, everything we've been talking about seems okay. You know, no one knows what I'm thinking, right? Nobody knows what I'm thinking about, what my heart is doing. I can't, I can't tell you if Sean is a believer or not or what he's thinking about. I can watch his life and see how he behaves, and, and that helps me to have confidence. He's a brother, and he encourages me, and we walk together. But Sean is the only person who knows what Sean's heart is thinking about. He's the only one who can control his mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the wrestling, so right? So right, so we don't we don't want to have this this uh, this hardness of heart, right? Uh, and, and we have to be thinking about our mind. All right, but what happens when these people continue in this way? They have this hard heart, they're thinking how they want to think, they're not being controlled by this word of God, right? This external referent that tells them the truth, and instead they're making truth for themselves in their hearts. Right? What happens to them? Verse 19, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So these people, they become callous. They have given themselves over to sensuality. Not only that, it's to, for the practice of every kind of impurity. And not only that, but it's with greediness. Okay, So we're going to talk about those, those different points here. Callous. This is similar, I said the, petri- the pet porosis, that becoming hardened is, is kind of like um, when your bone breaks, right, and you kind of get a bump. This callus is not like a, um, it's not like a rough spot on your hand. Callus is, I guess in a sense it is, right? When you have a callus on your hand, it pre- prevents the nerves in your hand from being able to feel, right? You start to get this thick bunch of skin there. You can't heal well. This idea, yeah, exactly. So this idea of callus is, they don't have any feeling at all. Not only are they, not only are they just kind of thinking their own way, but they start to not. They start to be completely desensitized. They start to feel nothing. All right, and this this is a result of that inner process in their mind and in their heart. 
feeling. Yeah, past feeling. That's great. Yeah. So there, there is nothing in their heart that is convicting them, that is telling them, like, stop, stop, go away. This is right back to Romans 1. There's nothing telling them, like, God is God. You must check yourself. You must align your life with his truth, not your own truth. They're beyond that. They're all the way in. They're committed. All right, and then we have this verb, giving themselves over to sensuality. Uh, Romans 1, it talks about how God gave them over to their shamefulness and sin. And this side, we see they give themselves over. I think it's important to see that there's, there's both sides talked about in the scripture, right? But they are responsible for their behavior. Amen. And this giving themselves over, this is the same verb. It's used in the Gospels about 400 times. Every time it talks about be arrested, be turned over, be handed over, it's the same verb. So there's almost of a sense that they... They are giving their freedom, their life, and they're handing it over to their sensuality. They're letting their, their desire, their lust for, for what they want become their, their prisoner, okay? They're, they're putting themselves in custody of their sensuality. And this sensuality, um, the word is really strong. It's talking about doing something open with, openly with no shame whatsoever. So it's a practice of sin with no concern for what God or people think. And it's a shameless pursuit of one's own desires. We're going to see it three times back in Romans 1. Uh, we haven't read this part yet, but in Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28, we see an example of this sensuality. In 24, he says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. In 26, it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And then in 28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. All right, again, like I said, we've got that. They give themselves over. In Romans, Paul's talking about it from, from God's perspective. God gave them over to these things because of what they've done. But in both cases, they're responsible for how they lived and what they're doing. And, uh, and we saw even there in Romans, you see several different explanations of what does this sensuality look like? So uh, we don't have time to dig into that text, but please go on your own time. Look back into Romans 1. Wrestle with what Paul, how Paul's characterizing the depravity of this, right? Uh, uh, I, this is one of my favorite counseling chapters, yeah. obviously, in Romans. Um, and when it says God gave them over, God gave them over, that's not to say that God had any part in their desire for their own wickedness, but it is literally God no longer restraining. Yeah. And you want it, have it. Yeah, we talk about James, right? Yeah. James 2, he talks about, um, I can't quote that one, but uh, talks about how he's given them over. Uh, yeah. our, what God is not a tempter of men, right? But they're, they're, they're allowing the lust of their own heart to take control of themselves, right? You can read that in James. Um, so we have the same idea of these people pursuing what they want and not what God wants, right? Um, if this, is, this is the state of people who are excluded from the life of God, right? All right, now this sensuality, this giving themselves over to sensuality is further clarified as we go down in verse 19. Right? He says, giving, them over, giving themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So not only are they imprisoning themselves to their lusts and desires, but they're practicing every kind of impurity, every kind of uncleanness or foulness of the womb. And then it has this, this, this prepositional phrase, with greediness. Um, I like the word covetousness, but like, I think a lot of times it loses its uh, uh, meaning because we've heard it so many times. For those of, here, those of us who are in churches and you hear it, um, it's kind of like an Old Testament word. Yeah, like a church word, right? But 
the idea of it is really just arrogance, extreme selfishness. Um, I liked Lord of the Rings growing up, so I just think of Gollum. Like, that's kind of like this. There's like a ceaseless obsession and passion for doing what you want whenever you want it. Okay? Yeah, my precious, right? But your precious is your own sin and sensuality and, and evil, right? Right? So, so think about who, how we're just describing these people, right? This is, these, are, these are the ethnos, the nations, the, the non believers. But the crazy thing is, is we, we look at this, and this is where our ignorance comes in, and we go, oh, that's not me. That would never be me. That's, yeah. that's somebody else. You know, we can point at other people and go, this is where it is failing to realize it's what we desire above all other things, meaning I would rather do this, I would rather be here, I would rather than spend time with my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would rather do this, I would rather be here than do the things that I know I should. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect transition uh, to, to the last few two verses, right? Um, so uh, as I was looking at this passage, right, obviously this helps us to see why evil exists, right? This helps us to see... Um, guys like Epstein uh, and um, even Hitler, right? Like, what, what happened? How did, they, how did they come that way? Right? The Bible can answer that question. We don't need psychology. Like, they, they were ignorant because of their hardened hearts and excluded from the life of God. So they have no salvation in Christ. And so instead of turning and repenting and following after the truth that is in Christ, they kept their own way, right? And now they've become unfeeling, and all they care about is a greedy, relentless, selfish lust of their own passions and what they think is right. And, and obviously, great evil can ensue, right? But Paul is not just talking about Hitler here, okay? This is not a text about Hitler, okay? The root of our rot is in our thoughts and our hearts. So eventually, they fall into terrible sins that define their society, but the sin was committed in their hearts and in their thoughts. God gives them over and they give themselves over to great wickedness, but the concern here is with the heart and the mind. And so as we look at 20 and 21, I'm, I'm begging you and encouraging you to do exactly what Keith was admonishing you. Look at your own heart. And you'll see why, as we just, we just read this in English, right? It's perfectly clear. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. So where is this argument going? Like I said, we're, we're kind of having to stop. This is kind of like the bad news of this section of walk in, walk in truth. And next week we'll get to some of the good news, right? That there's new life and there's hope. You had to deliver the Exactly. I got to give the bad news, which is okay. I'm used to it. So how do we, how do we see where this is going, right? Like, you know, spoiler alert, like there's, there's hope, right? There is a new life. You can put off this old self and you can live in new life, right? But... But Paul makes a very specific point here, and I want to highlight it and why I think we ought to apply this to ourselves. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and been taught in him, just as the truth is in Christ. Uh, First, so kind of two things we're talking about. One, this points us right back to the beginning of chapter four, everything we just talked about last two weeks. You got learn, taught, and truth. Okay, so everything about that, where where does that happen? Where, Where do we learn? In your mind, right? Yeah. So... God is telling them, this is, this is not you, that like you didn't learn Christ like this, if indeed you were taught in him. So if you're a person who, as you examine yourself, you look at your own thought and your hearts, and you say, I think like that. I'm, I'm in that. He's saying, like, 
that's not what I was teaching. Like, you didn't, you didn't get the memo, okay? You need to look back at yourself and say, am I thinking like this? Am I, is my heart changing? Am I being transformed, right? Um, am I committing myself to the ministry of teaching and understanding? Am I committed to growing, right? Am I consistent in my study of God's word? Is his, it's not a law, but it's grace. I mean, don't you want to be free? Don't you want to know God? Don't you want to be free from your sin, from the law of sin and death? Don't you want to be free from, from hating others, right? From being angry with others? Don't you want to love your spouse? Don't you want to love other people? Don't you want to stop being a part of the problem of this world? Amen. Then learn. Listen. Be taught. All right? This is where he's going. He's going to give them a new way. He's going to give them a new direction, right? But it's rooted in everything we've already talked about from Ephesians 1 through 3, okay? So remember these things, right? Um, and just to, um, to kind of cover back, I want to look at another section of Scripture in 2 Peter where he talks about the dangers of false teaching. Uh, and, and I want you to consider these things as we think about, do we know? Have we been taught? Right? I'm not assuming anyone in here is, I'm not assuming anyone here is, is, knows all these things, right? So you need to test yourselves with the word of God, not with what a man is teaching you, with what, what you've heard before. Test yourself with the scriptures and see that you're in the faith. And so we're going to look at 2 Peter 2 really quickly, uh, just a couple verses to look at the danger of how false teaching can corrupt us and set us on a wrong path and not get us to this point where we go from people who are the Gentile mind and living in futility, and we have to turn our mind into a productive mind, a mind that is growing, that is becoming sanctified and becoming Christ-like, to have the mind of Christ. All right, so uh, we'll start. Yeah, yeah. We'll start in uh, verse 1 real quick. So, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be also be false teachers among you. You'll secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, right, we talked about that, they will, be, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Jumping to verse 18, we'll see, for speaking out arrogant words, verse 18, of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilement of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed to, on to them, it has, a, it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in its mire. I don't have time to talk through the whole passage, right? There's a, there's a lot of challenging parts there, but um, the key takeaway is um, there are people out there and teachers out there that are going to teach you a message that says, remain in your sensuality. It's okay. God forgives you. Like, there's grace. But Paul is telling us from Ephesians 4 that he is reminding us that there is one way, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Coming to Christ, being found in Him, does not mean that you said a prayer or that you just, um, that you just come to church or that you pray occasionally. Being found in Christ means that you are a person whose heart has become soft, whose thoughts 
are after the Lord, whose mind is meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. You're a person who's growing in truth and righteousness and holiness and sanctification, and you seek to honor Him. Uh, and as we're going to see, your life will be different. Amen. Your ways will be different. You will be obedient. Um, but it starts in your mind and your heart. And so I just want to encourage you guys today, the battlefield uh, for Christian behavior is in our mind. The Gentile way, which was futility or no results, is not producing anything. It's leading to nothing good. In fact, it's leading to eternal destruction and death. Right? But the Christian instruction, right? everything we talked about in the beginning of chapter 4, is the building up of the body. Yeah. Sorry. She passed on with me out. I thought it was 45. So. All, right. All right. Well, appreciate you guys uh, so much. Uh, that was pretty much the end. So. Yeah, let's pray. Uh, dear God, thank you so much for uh, this chance to study your word. And I pray that it was edifying. Um, edifying means that it builds up the temple that is the body of Christ, the church, which we are if we are in you. And I pray that each person would go home today and uh, wrestle with this and think about um, if they're in you and if they know you and if their hearts have been changed, their minds have been changed, and, um, that that wouldn't discourage them, but that would encourage them to come back and to continue to grow with us, that we can encourage each other and continue to remind each other of forgiveness in Christ and, and the hope that we have in you. And we can't wait to see you one day soon, Lord. Thank you so much for our time. Amen. Amen. Amen.